the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. I am actually broadcasting live today. We had a little technical glitch last Friday, which is why my uh, my show started and then it ended up going to a previously recorded show. Uh, we believe that we have fixed that technical glitch, something to do with, uh, with me having um, some extra sounds coming out uh, when I was speaking or testing before the show. But it should be fine today, and I'm looking forward to having a great show today. Um, now, I don't know how many of you out there have uh, school-age children. By that, I mean uh, K through 12. Um, I'm finding that this remote learning uh, for my children is uh, it's just not working out all that well at all. It's, it's a very unnatural way to try to teach a subject. It might work for high schoolers and adults, but for children who are up through middle school, I don't think it works very well at all. I'm hopeful that um, that the county will be able to open up more in the future. There is actually, uh, to let you know, there is actually a, a writ that has been submitted to the Supreme Court here in California. It comes out of Southern California. And it's basically challenging the governor's authority to order the schools to be shut down. Um, the, the authority is being challenged both by Orange County um, and the I think the Orange County Board of Education. And it's being challenged by many, many uh, private schools as well, including at least one here in Santa Clara County on the basis of... Um, the exercise of religious freedom. So it's going to be interesting to see what the court decides. Uh, this writ was submitted a few days ago. The governor was given till 3 o'clock today to respond, actually, to two different writs that were presented to the Supreme Court. And then on by September 1st, the original filers get to respond back to whatever the governor says. And then the court is going to make a decision. Now, what this means is, and as I understand it, if the Supreme Court decides that the governor exceeded his authority, um, his emergency powers in ordering shutdowns um, of various activities around the state, especially schooling, because this is focused on schooling, and, uh, and they find that he exceeded his authority, it will mean that school districts, private schools, charter schools, other independent schools, 
uh, school districts will be able to open up should they choose to um, because the governor's order will have been canceled or rescinded by our highest court here in California. So it remains to be seen how that will all play out. I've been kind of watching that. And if there is a uh, if there is change, I'll let everybody know on the show. Um, because uh, I know that my kids are just not doing well with the remote learning at all. It's very frustrating as a parent. Um, and and they're, they're not being able to spend time with their friends, socialize. Um, my daughters are 12 in seventh grade, and socialization is very, very important at this age, and they're not being able to, to do any of that at this time. So I'm hopeful that there will be some, um, some sanity that comes to this whole process, and that schools will be permitted to open if they have um, put... Uh, put things in place to protect the students and protect the teachers. And uh, I don't, I've never thought that a top-down approach was appropriate for anything. I think that the local counties should be the level where these decisions are made, but our governor uh, saw fit to, to uh, impose his will on the entire state, regardless of the differing situations in various parts of the state. So it remains to be seen whether the Supreme Court of California is going to actually um, act and perhaps overturn the governor's orders and uh, give control back to the counties, which is where I personally believe uh, the authority should be to make decisions like this. Every county should be able to evaluate its own situation, and um, that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. So... um, I am uh, I'm going to continue on with the the normal approach that I take on this show, which is taking uh, questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, I will say that um, this particular um, format of my show has proven to be pretty popular. I get a lot of people responding back and letting me know that they do, in fact, like this approach. They learn things all the time, and it also... Uh, sometimes people call in and they get their questions answered on the air. And that being said, I'll let you know that you can call me at 800-516-1220 if you'd like to talk on the air today. I'm happy to take your questions and answer them if I'm able to do that. Or you can email me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B, dot com. Lawbob.com is my main website for my law practice. You can always go there and find out more about me and kind of rummage around in the side rooms there and and uh, maybe learn a few things about estate planning in the process. So starting off today, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with a question out of Orangevale, California. A person starts off by saying both my parents left wills making me their executor and both have died. Um, my dad made me the complete power of attorney before he died. Can I sell the house? Well, first of all, the power of attorney granted by somebody, the authority under a power of attorney ends when the person granting the power dies. So to sell a house, you'd have to go through the probate process. And um, so here, here we, it goes, I'm not going to go on with the rest of the question, but, but the, the basic answer to that there is that you need to actually 
uh, go through the probate process to get authority to sell a property, uh, even if the property was left to you, because without, uh, if all someone had is wills, they, there's no one with any authority to sell that property or handle it in any way until the court grants that authority. Okay, here's one out of Redding, California. Uh, the question says, in California, if a parent was a beneficiary on a living trust, can the children of that beneficiary view the actual trust? So I guess here, let's just say dad was listed as beneficiary of a trust. Dad is deceased. Living trusts are not public record. As dad's child, I'd like to read the actual legal documents since only one other beneficiary is left and is in total control of the trust. Well, if you're the child of the beneficiary of a trust and that and, and your parent has died, if the trust provides that that parent share is supposed to pass to you and now the trust is irrevocable, meaning it can't be changed anymore, well, then you're entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust, which typically means a copy of the whole trust. So if there's one other beneficiary who's in control of the trust, acting as the trustee, they likely have a legal obligation to provide a copy of that trust to this person whose parent was the other beneficiary and has died. Okay, Ooh, this one here. I'm going to save this one till after the break because we're uh, getting a little short on time here in this first segment. Um Question out of San Diego. Is an executor responsible to pay for probate? Okay. Um, is the executor responsible for putting a home in probate before given to a beneficiary? And how do they pay for probate? Well, um, you know what? We'll come back after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Well, um, I've been looking over a number of the questions and comments that um, I'm planning on covering on the show today, and I thought I'd get right back into that. If you do like, uh, if you would like to call in, it's 800-516-1220, or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com. And I can answer your question on the air, assuming it's a question I'm capable of answering. So here's a situation um, out of Riverside, California, and I will tell you it's probably incredibly common for something like this to happen. Person's asking the question, what is the law concerning beneficiaries when the first grantor of a trust dies? So the grantor of a trust, and that's someone who actually creates a trust, typically a living trust in this in this particular case. It's a second marriage for both grantors of the trust. Um, the new wife contributed assets into the trust to protect her two daughters from her first marriage. In the second marriage, she had two more children. She died before her second husband. The question is, are the original beneficiaries protected by the rules of the original trust that she contributed to. The second husband has not provided for his stepchildren, that's the wife's first set of children, in the revised trust, and it doesn't seem fair. Well, the deal here is that if if the, the wife 
wanted to contribute assets into the trust and protect her daughters, the trust should have been drafted to say that. Here it sounds like the trust was just a joint trust with the husband. She put money in, he put money in. There was no specific directions about what happens should she pass away and what happens to the uh, the property that she contributed into the trust. And as a result, if it is said that um, the survivor now owns everything, then yes, um, the stepfather can change the whole deal and decide to leave everything to the two children of the marriage and nothing to the set of children, the two children that were his now deceased wife's children. That kind of thing happens all the time and it can be avoided, if that's the intention, by proper planning. Or it could be avoided by having your own property put into your own trust with instructions for what happens when you die. And if you want to make sure your children are benefited, you make sure they're the beneficiaries of that trust that you have that is separate from any trust you may have with a spouse, especially in a second marriage situation. It's not unusual to have, in this case, her kids and their kids. And sometimes it's her kids, his kids, and their kids. And, um, and that's called a blended family. And it is not uncommon at all for a blended family to have one set of the children completely left out of any ultimate distribution because of the way the estate plan was drafted in the first place. So I suggest to anybody, if you're concerned about this, uh, you need to consult with an experienced, competent estate planning attorney that can actually advise the family, advise the husband and wife what the issues are and perhaps even have them get separate legal counsel so they can negotiate exactly how they're going to plan their estate to make sure that maybe their respective children are not intentionally or unintentionally left out of ultimate distribution. So that is, uh, again, that's not an uncommon situation at all. Here's a couple um, out of Lemon Grove, California. I'm not sure where that is, but I'm sure somebody listening knows where that is. They said, when we made revocable family trust in 1997, we didn't create an asset list. Can I still submit an asset list after over 20 years? Well, absolutely. Um, an asset list is not a requirement of a trust, but it's a good idea to have a list of everything that you intend to be owned by your trust that is dated and signed and may be updated as uh, as assets change over time, which they can do. You could sell a house, buy a new house, open new bank accounts, close a brokerage account, all those kinds of things. So what I suggest um, to people is, uh, and I actually provide in the planning I do, I provide asset schedules that can be updated by my clients as their assets change. So they can update the schedule, print out a new one, date it and sign it, and keep it with their trust. Having an updated asset schedule is especially important if we find that someone has passed away and they did not transfer assets into the trust, maybe that should have been transferred, like a house or rental property, a large brokerage account, things like that. Because then with an asset schedule that identifies the asset, we have written evidence of the intention of the person who created the trust 
that that asset be part of their trust. And that written evidence can be used to show to a probate judge and have the judge actually sign an order declaring that that property is, in fact, part of the trust assets after the person has died without going through the whole probate process. If you've been listening to the show any length of time, you know I've talked about Hegstat petitions. That's what would be a Hegstat petition. And I often do those petitions using the schedule of assets that identifies property, either real estate or personal property, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, that should have been in the trust but were never retitled into the trust name. But we can get them into the trust without going through the whole probate process. So an asset schedule can be updated. In fact, it should be maintained and updated um, all along the way. Now, here's someone that uh, uh, out of Grover Beach, California, asking, uh, said, let's say, my mother passed away, maybe 100% beneficiary of her trust. I've turned in an affidavit of death form with a copy of original death certificate. I've also filled out a preliminary change of ownership form, or what we call a PCOR, turned it into the recorder's office, along with a grant deed form with a PCOR form. I've also filed notice of death to the assessor's office along with a parent-child exclusion from reassessment form called a Proposition 58 form. So the question is, once I've done all this, how long will I have to wait before I can refinance or sell the property? Well, if you've done all this paperwork and you've transferred the title into your name, go for it. You can refinance or sell right away. There's no, like, waiting period after the paperwork's been turned in uh, to the assessor and the recorder. You can act immediately on that paperwork. Here's one out of San Francisco asking a question, can a co-trustee take out a mortgage on land in a trust? Can that be done without other co-trustees knowing that it's happened? Well, the short answer is it depends on what the trust permits. If the trust states that any co-trustee can act without the other co-trustees having to be involved, then the answer is yes, one co-trustee could take out a mortgage on land owned by the trust uh, without another co-trustee's knowledge. Now, that's not a good thing, obviously, um, but what that does mean is that in a case like this, if it's being done without the other knowledge, there's probably some funny business going on. And I would jump in and suggest, "Ah, maybe you need to confront that person and find out just what the heck they're doing. So we're coming up on the end of the second segment of the show today. Uh, When I come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your State Radio. This is Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Well, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments around the state of California. We're going to dive right in here with one from, uh, let's see, uh, I don't don't like that one. Not because it's a bad question, but because it's kind of really no no way to answer it in any serious way. Oh, here we go. Uh, My spouse owns a house with his parents, purchased before marriage, agreed to be separate property with a premarital agreement with his name and his parents on the deed. 
only his name is on the mortgage, his separate property. If my spouse passes away before his parents, will I be responsible for paying the mortgage? Will I have the right to sell the house to pay off the mortgage? Well, <laughs> those are both excellent questions. The, I mean, the first thing I would have to ask is, if the spouse is on the title, how is the spouse on the title? As joint tenants with the parents or as tenants in common? If it's joint tenants, then that means your spouse dies and his share goes to his parents and it's done. Um, there's no interest to pass to anyone else. It goes straight to the parents. If it's as tenants in common, then the spouse's share will pass according to any estate plan they've done. If they've done nothing, then it might actually go to this person who's asking the question, the surviving spouse. Uh, if there's children, it would go to the surviving spouse and the children. And if the person made a will, maybe it's going to go someplace else entirely. But um, there will be no right to sell the house at all unless the surviving spouse ends up as a co-owner with her mother and father-in-law. And then the right would be, if they don't want to sell the house, uh, you always, as a co-owner, have the ability to go to court for what's called a partition action, which is basically saying, Judge, I want my interest in the property out and they refuse to sell, so I want to sell so I can get my share of the money out of there, and I'm asking you to partition or divide up the property. And basically what the court would do is order the property sold and the proceeds distributed between the various ownership interests. Um, because the law doesn't require you to be in a partnership with anyone else on property, and that obviously can include in-laws as well. So um, that's kind of the short answer to all of that. Here, let's see. Uh, my brother passed away, and in his trust, he named five minor beneficiaries. I need to transfer the assets to the minors by a subtrust. I'm creating the subtrust, but I'm confused as to the type of trust that will be needed. Is it revocable, irrevocable? or other, a custodianship. Well, if it's actual subtrust for minor children created from the trust of someone who's died, it's going to be an irrevocable trust. Or in this case, maybe five different irrevocable trusts because there's five different minor beneficiaries. So that's what you'd be creating after someone died is an irrevocable trust. Okay. Question, do the grandchildren of my grandmother's estate inherit mom's share since mom passed away before grandma? Okay, so grandma passed away leaving a California will. She had three daughters, one of which was my mom. My mom told me when she was alive that grandma's estate will be split three ways between my mom and her two sisters. My mom died before grandma. My mom had three kids, me and my two sisters. Will my two sisters and I inherit my mom's share of grandma's estate in equal shares when grandma dies since we're direct descendants? Well, the answer is yes, but not because you're direct descendants. Yes, if the will provides, if grandma's will provides that any share that goes to one of her children, if that child is already deceased, 
will instead be passed to that child's children or what we call their the person's issue or descendants. So that would be a very typical will. And so the likelihood is that because the mother died before grandma, that when grandma has now died, the mother's share will pass to her children. In this case, this, this person asking the question and her two sisters. Now, here's an interesting one, and it's uh, we're going to go over into the area of um, a little bit of real estate here and talk about an issue to make sure that uh, maybe at the end of this you'll have an understanding of just what a certain type of insurance is for. So, I purchased a home with um, with my mother, and the title company vested as single woman and single man and left off joint tenants or with right of survivorship. Now, I'll pause right here and say title companies don't vest. They prepare deeds according to instructions from the people who are buying a property. If you purchased a property, you know that the title company will ask you, how would you like to take title? And they don't make the decision for you. You have to instruct them what the decision is. Now, in this case, um, it looks like they, let's see, they said, tried to sell the home, and this came up. Mother's deceased. We refinanced the home with the same escrow company with the same vesting. Then, now they're saying um, it's not their fault that um, that the title was incorrect. They blamed the bank for preparing the deed, and they just recorded it. Now, the key is whoever prepared the deed is uh, responsible. This is a different uh, issue than what is title insurance for. Um, this person saying, you know, well, how come my title insurance doesn't cover this? Well, title insurance covers when there, when there is a flaw in the title that you received. Um, title insurance goes back in time and guarantees that the title you receive is good title, meaning that there's not something back in the history of the transfers of that property that would suggest that the person transferring it to you doesn't have the authority to do it or doesn't actually own it or something like that. That's what title insurance is for. Here, if the title company prepared the deed and they didn't follow the instructions, then they might very well be able to be held liable for for the uh, preparation of the deed incorrectly, which now creates what appears to be a probate situation for this person because they have to get their mother's name off the title in order to do anything with the property. However, um, if a third party prepared the deed and all the title company did was record the deed that was delivered to them, they wouldn't have any liability for that because they were not the ones who drafted it. But really it would come down to what instructions did they receive and if the the person and their mother didn't understand that they had to um, had to specifically instruct the title company joint tenants with right of survivorship, then really it's not the title company's problem and it's not their fault. That would be my um, that would be my take on all that. Okay, now here's one out of Los Angeles, L.A. 
um, said, um, a trust was created for my mother and my stepfather in 2017. My stepfather died a week later, and my mother died in 2019. That was in January. In February of 2019, the state of California notified the trustee of the trust of an unknown account of theirs showing they were joint tenants with right of survivorship. So let's pause right there. That would mean that when the stepfather died, that account went to the mother because the right of survivorship would cause that to happen. And then the father died a couple years later. Now it says here the trustee re-registered this account in the trust's name. It says, I believe my father became the sole owner of the account on my stepfather's death. I rather my mother became the sole owner on my stepfather's death and that as my mother's sole heir, I should inherit this account outside of the trust. Here, though, there's actually a will that the mother had, what's called a pour-over will, that directs property to go into that into the mother's trust, in this case, the trust that she had with the stepfather. So the trustee probably um, was either able to use uh, an affidavit of small estate value to get it over into the trust. That's if the value was less than, uh, less than uh, at the time it would have been $150,000. Or if it was a much larger account, would have been able to go to court with a Hegstat petition using the pour over will, in many places anyway, to get that to go over into the trust. So jointly owned assets uh, are excluded from a trust, but not excluded necessarily when there's only one person left that's alive. In this case, the mother was the one left alive, so there's not necessarily going to be anything um, other than to get it turned over to the trust. So I'm not surprised to, to see kind of see that result right there. So we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. Um, I just want to let you know that I am available to talk today if you'd like to, 800-516-1220, or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have any questions, and I'd be very happy to answer those questions on the air. But uh, we're going to be coming back shortly, and um, we have maybe about 30 seconds to go in this segment. I'm not going to start a new question and comment. Just to let you know, please feel free to give me a call. 800-516-1220 or email me at radio at lawbob.com so I will be coming back um, after this break for the final segment of the show today talk with you then now back to plan your estate radio once again your host estate planning trust and probate law specialist attorney Bob Bergman Well, welcome back for the final segment of our show today. Um, I will say it's good to be back on the air live um, as we go through this time here in the Bay Area, negotiating the pandemic, negotiating, going about our daily lives, trying to have as much normalcy as possible. Um, I will say that there, you don't really know what you're missing until you can't do it anymore. And I think you probably know what I'm talking about there. 
uh, whatever it happens to be, um, whether it's going to a movie theater to, to actually uh, sit down and, and watch a show, whether it's uh, going to a museum or having your kids go back to school and be able to actually uh, interact with each other. Those are all the kinds of things that we kind of take for granted that um, when they're taken away from us, it, it makes it difficult sometimes to to sort out just, just what's important in life. But I'm going to wrap up the show today with a couple of more of these questions and comments from around the state, and then we'll uh, call it a day. Uh, this is one out of my own city of San Jose, and uh, it kind of um, dovetails with uh, what we're going through right now. person says, it's a sad question to ask, but this has become the reality for me. The current pandemic accelerated and sealed the alienation from my children. At this point, my children are strangers to me, and they have a dim view of me. I don't see any hope of that changing in my lifetime. I don't think there are many people who leave their life savings to strangers. My questions are as follows. Are there any legal consequences of cutting off my alienated children from inheriting from me? What kind of help should I get? Is there any alternative to a total cutoff? Well, if you feel that you need to disinherit your children, you need to do it formally. You need to do it by a will or by a trust. Trust is probably better. And you make it very, very clear um, that you're not leaving them anything. You need to decide whether you're just, just your children or whether you're going to cut out their children as well, your grandchildren. Sometimes people bypass their children and leave things to their grandchildren instead. But these are all things that to really do it properly, you should have an experienced estate planning attorney that you consult with that can draw up the paperwork in such a way that it will be as rock solid and ironclad as legally possible. This is not something to try and do on your own. So when people make that hard decision to perhaps actually cut off their children from an inheritance. And I, and I know this is a very hard decision. I've had people in my office over the years that have done this. Sometimes they've done it and they're, and they're angry and they tell me exactly why and I understand why. Other times they do it and they're sad to do it, but they feel like they need to do it because otherwise there will be no lesson learned by their children. There will be no consequences for a child's behavior, for example. So the short answer is having a professional assist you with this to make sure that if you're going to disinherit someone who would otherwise inherit from you, then you've done it in the right way and in a way that is going to be um, as ironclad and, and lawsuit-proof as possible um, because children who've been disinherited sometimes they accept it sometimes they know exactly why other times they will fight it and they'll go to court over it so you want to make sure that you have everything lined up all the I's dotted the T's crossed and you are very very crystal clear about disinheriting those children 
Now, here's someone asking the question. says, I made a family trust. I'm assuming they mean a living trust by that. Someone said, I need a will, and I'm not sure if I really need it. Well, when you make a trust, you should probably also make a will, but it's a special type of will called a pour-over will. It's called a pour-over will because what it's intended to do is take any loose property that you may own at your death that's not in your trust and pick up that property and legally pour it over into your trust so your trust can ultimately dispose of it. This is the basis of the Hegstat petition, for example, um, which I do um, many of. And a pour-over will makes it clear that you intend not to have property just kind of like laying all over the place. You intend your, your trust to actually be the one that handles it. So having a trust without a pour-over will, that's perfectly fine if you literally make sure that everything is in your trust and there's nothing loose that would ever be outside of your trust. But it's kind of like driving a car successfully without a spare tire. You can certainly do that. You may be able to drive the car for many, many years, um, just changing the tires and never have a blowout and never need that spare tire. But the pour over wheel is kind of like that spare tire in case there's an accident, a blowout, and now you need a way to repair that so that the trust can move on with everything in it. It's not a perfect analogy, but still, that's kind of the point. Uh, you want to make sure that you're going to have um, as much in place as you can. So until next week, this is Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.